Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Today's guest, Melissa Hartwig, is a certified sports nutritionist who specializes in helping people change their relationship with food and create lifelong healthy habits. She's the co-founder of the Whole30 program, and she is the New York Times bestselling co-author of It Starts With Food and The Whole30, The 30-Day Guide to Total Health and Food Freedom. Hartwig was, has been featured on The Today Show, Dr. Oz, The Wall Street Journal, Outside, and Self magazines. And she shares her resources with, writes articles for, and provides support to more than 2 million people a month through the Whole30 website and social media feeds. Melissa Hartwig is here today on Health Watch to discuss the Whole30 program, what it entails, and what can be expected from people who dedicate a month to eating according to its principles. Welcome to Health Watch, Melissa Hartwig. Hi, thank you so much for having me, David. I'm excited to be here. So you say at the beginning of the book that Whole30 is not a diet, it's not a quick fix, or even a weight loss program. So so why don't you tell us what it is if it isn't those things? Sure. The way I describe the Whole30 is it's like pushing the reset button with your health, your habits, and your relationship with food. So for 30 days, you're going to eliminate the foods that the scientific literature and our clinical experience have shown to be very commonly problematic to various degrees across a broad range of people. You're going to pull those foods out for 30 days and see what changes in terms of your sleep quality, your energy, your mood, your digestion, your attention span or focus, uh, any number of medical symptoms or medical conditions. And you're just going to see what life is like without these potentially problematic triggers. At the end of the 30 days, you bring those foods back in very carefully and systematically one at a time and, again, evaluate what changes. The protocol allows you to create the perfect diet for you because there is no one-size-fits-all based on a foundation of you know, healthy digestion, a healthy relationship with food, a healthy metabolism, and a healthy balanced immune system. And so is there a specific target audience for this book? Are there specific people who are particularly should be considering going on this 30-day trial? So, you know, a lot of medical doctors use our program with their patients to help with conditions like high cholesterol, high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, autoimmune conditions, but you don't have to be sick to benefit from the program. If you're just looking for better energy, a better mood, uh, better sleep quality, or fewer cravings, the program really works wonders for you. So why don't you walk us through a little bit of, of what foods are emphasized and what foods uh, you have people remove for the, the one month? Sure. So for the 30 days, you'll be eating meat, seafood, and eggs in very moderate portions. Uh, you'll be eating lots and lots of vegetables and fruit, tons of good, healthy plants in a wide variety, natural, healthy fats, things like avocado, olives, and olive oil, and a variety of fresh herbs and spices. So it's really a, a whole food, real food-based approach, which means that for 30 days you'll be eliminating many food groups that, again, have been shown to contribute negatively across a broad range of people. So no added sugar for 30 days, not even like the natural stuff or artificial sweeteners. You're not doing any alcohol for 30 days. No grains, so that would be wheat, rye, barley, corn, oats, rice, out. You're replacing those grains with vegetables and fruit. You're not doing any legumes for 30 days, so beans, peas, soy, or peanuts, and also no dairy products with the exception of clarified butter or ghee. 
So that's the stuff you're eliminating just for the 30-day protocol. In case you just tuned in today, we're talking to the co-founder of the Whole30 program, Melissa Hartwig, and you're listening to Health Watch. Um, one of the things that I like about this book is that you don't say that the foods that are being eliminated are bad and that the foods that you're continuing to eat are good. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about how you parse through uh, the issues around potential shame or guilt and bad labeling of foods as bad foods or good foods? Yeah, that's one of the things, you know, there's a huge psychology component to the Whole30 program in my particular area of research is habit and the psychology of change and willpower. And so what we talk about is that these foods that you're eliminating are not bad or good. They're just unknown for you. And the way you figure out how they work for you with your unique, you know, health goals and health context and lifestyle is to pull them out and put them back in like a scientific experiment. The protocol is not the whole 65. We, I don't expect nor do I want anyone to eat like this forever. What I want you to do is figure out how these foods impact you and then going forward, make educated, informed decisions about how much, how often, or in what quantities you want to include these foods back into your diet so that it feels healthy and balanced and sustainable and you're not missing out on the food that's so special or so delicious that it makes life worth living. I just want you to be able to include those foods back in your diet in a way that feels sustainable, but always keeps you in control of the food you're eating. And then I had, I had some curiosity about how you chose which foods to eliminate. I, I don't know if you're familiar with Gary Tobbs, but um, mm-hmm. he he has, I think he pro, he promotes a diet that's pretty similar to yours, or at least in the same spectrum of what you're promoting. He wrote this interesting article in the New York Times maybe a year or two ago about the terrible mess that is nutritional science, that we don't have a lot of high, uh, high level scientific information, remarkably, given how many studies there are, there's not a lot of high level information in science about what is good and what isn't good. Um, so how did, how did you parse out, for instance, beans, which there is, you know, there's a lot of health benefits to beans, for instance, in the abstract, why, why, how did you come to removing beans out of the diet versus a certain subcategory of fruit? Yeah. So I loved that Todd's article because he's absolutely right. Like we don't, if we waited until we had an absolute definitive conclusion from the scientific literature to make dietary changes, nobody would change anything. So the way we thought about the program when we were creating it was that it sort of built on this pyramid. At the very bottom is the scientific literature. I don't make any recommendations that don't have foundation in the literature. And again, the literature is not conclusive in any one area, but there's at least a foundation to suggest that some component of these foods are generally problematic to varying degrees across a broad range of people. On top of that, I layer my clinical experience. Over the last, well, Whole30 has been around since 2009, so for more than seven years, I've observed people, millions of people going through this protocol. And if millions of people get similar results by adopting the same protocol, I pay attention to that. So the elimination of these foods, generally speaking, makes people feel better to some degree, to some capacity. So I layer the clinical experience on. But the peak of this pyramid is really the self-experimentation because you will never be represented in any of those scientific studies, you personally. And unless you've done the Whole30 and shared your experience with me, you're not part of my clinical experience. So that self-experimentation piece where you say to someone, look, I don't know how it's going to work for you. Here's how it's worked for millions of people who have done the program, but you try it, pull it out, put it back in, 
tell me what you observe. And that's the one piece that nobody can argue with. If someone says, look, I pulled it out, I felt better, I put it back in, I didn't feel so good, there's really very little that you can say to refute that person's personal experience. And that's where we kind of put so much of the weight of the Whole30 program. And the flip side of that is someone might take something out that is problematic for a lot of people, but may not be problematic for them in the end after they reintroduce it in a month. Yes. And isn't that a wonderful experiment to be able to say, you know, I pulled out peanut butter and I know a lot of people have peanut allergies and it's been shown in the scientific literature to be problematic in the gut. But when I added it back to my life, no discernible difference. I look just as good. I feel just as good. My energy is great. My digestion is great. So now I can know that I can reincorporate that food back into my life in a way that still lets me meet my health and fitness goals. And isn't that a a remarkable piece of information for me to have? And do you have any modifications that you make? Say, for instance, somebody is doing the program because they have an autoimmune condition and someone else is doing it because they have irritable bowel syndrome. Are they the same program or are there certain tweaks that you might do? To it. So the foundation is the same. That's a great question. The foundation of the program is the same, but we did work with several medical doctors. Luke Redinger uh, is a doctor out of Wisconsin that I've worked very closely with to help make some general kind of tweaks to the program based on some specific things. So IBS or IBD, we're going to talk about not eating so many raw vegetables and cooking them far more thoroughly and perhaps avoiding vegetables that are very high in FODMAPs. For someone with an autoimmune condition, you may want to do the Whole30 and consider also pulling out eggs and nightshade vegetables, two foods that are shown to be really commonly problematic in those with a fired-up immune system. We've got some recommendations working with a registered dietitian if you're doing the Whole30 while you're pregnant. Um, So we do make some, some kind of specific tweaks here or there, but the foundation of the program is the same for everybody. In case you just tuned in, you're listening to Health Watch, and we're talking today to the co-founder of the Whole30 program, Melissa Hartwig. Uh, you also encourage people not to recreate foods that they're not eating. So, for instance, making a wheatless uh, or a grainless pizza crust or a um, some sort of alternate uh, alternative version of something that is they're being deprived of in the in the month is that because of the whole the emphasis on whole foods, or is there some other philosophy around not um, trying to reproduce the food in a lesser form? That actually really only speaks to the psychological component of the Whole30 and how we desperately want to address people's emotional relationship with food. There is technically a way to continue to eat pancakes, muffins, cookies, and ice cream using only approved Whole30 ingredients. But if you go through your 30 days continuing to eat pancakes, muffins, cookies, and ice cream, are you actually changing those habits? Are you changing your dysfunctional, emotional relationship with food? Are you learning new ways to comfort or reward yourself or share love? So we eliminate those foods from the program, not because there's anything wrong with the ingredients from a Whole30 perspective, but because your brain doesn't know the difference between an almond flour pancake and a regular pancake. And what we want you to do is examine that relationship with food and why are you reaching for these foods that most people say make them feel very out of control with their food habits. And then you also encourage people not to weigh themselves regularly as well. Can, can you talk about that and the psychological benefits of not weighing yourself during the 30 days? Yeah, you're not allowed to step on the scale for the duration of the 30 days because we are not a weight loss program. And what happens is that that number on the scale 
just holds your self-confidence and self-esteem hostage. And it will blind you to the other life-changing benefits you're experiencing by taking on this protocol. So we've had people report in and say, you know, I feel better. My energy is rocking. I'm sleeping so much better. My skin is glowing. My, I had to, you know, go down two notches in my belt. But at the end of the program, I got on the scale and I only lost two pounds. Why didn't it work? And I, I'm like, rewind. What did you just tell me? All of these other things that got better in your life, but you're disappointed because some number on a $20 hunk of plastic didn't report what you were expecting. So we just want to pull that out of the equation altogether and force people to look at all of the other ways in which changing the food you put on your plate can change every other area of your life. So Melissa, can you talk a little bit about the reintroduction process and what people would be looking for? So let's say they do like the pers- the the fictional person you just mentioned, they feel great uh, off the program. Um, but they don't know necessarily what subgroup of foods they're avoiding are causing the problem and which ones they could actually add back in and and continue to still still feel great. So how does that happen and how does one um, assess it? So we have a really careful reintroduction schedule outlined, and you really do think about it like a scientific experiment where the Whole30 is the control and the food you're reintroducing is the experimental factor. So the first day of reintroduction, you're going to reintroduce say, um, not, uh, legumes. That would be the first day of reintroduction. So you're eating everything Whole30, and the only thing you're putting back into your diet is some form of legume. So you're going to add beans to your breakfast you know, scramble. Maybe you'll have some peanut butter on a Granny Smith apple with lunch, and you're going to bring these things back in so that you can see and then go back to the Whole30 for two days. So you're bringing in this one factor, and what you're looking for are changes in anything that got better. So does your energy tank, do you get bloated or does your stomach feel, you know, gassy or does digestion get worse when it was feeling really good? Um, does the, you know, that joint thing that you had, the shoulder pain or the knee pain, does that all of a sudden come back when you reintroduce these foods? Does it impact your sleep? And then psychologically, does it impact your cravings? Do you find that adding peanut butter back into your life on a regular basis makes you crave the sweet, salty, fatty stuff even more? That's worth paying attention to. So as you go through the reintroduction protocol, you're paying attention to all of these things and you're reintroducing these foods one at a time. So by the time you're done, you should have a really good roadmap for these foods are worth it. These foods are not worth it. These foods may be worth it if it's really special. You mentioned treating it like a science experiment. And I was curious, since the program has been around a little while now, is there, are there any... Um, movements towards doing an actual science experiment with with Whole30 and and putting patients through the program and and measuring their cholesterol as a group against a control subject? I would love to find something like that. We've had some doctors who have done some of their own kind of in their own clinical experience and reported back results, but it's certainly not as controlled as a scientific study. I did have a university who did an experiment with Whole30 as the foundation, but they were really looking at like habit and change and sort of um, people's self-reported feelings of willpower uh, when the Whole30 was done. So that's not exactly technical. I'd love to fund something like that. I would just need to partner with someone who could actually implement the protocol. But I think it would back up what we've been seeing experientially for the last seven years. Yeah. 
And, and then what way would a, a vegetarian who wanted to do the program uh, adapt it, if at all? Could they just do the program straight on? Or would they want to add in something like beans because of them of them being a higher protein source among v- vegetables? So you can't do if you're vegan, you can't do the whole thirty as written. You simply can't because we're eliminating all of your plant-based protein sources. There would be very little for you to eat, and that's certainly not a healthy approach. If you're vegetarian or pescatarian and you'll eat fish and eggs, I highly encourage you to go through the thirty days using only various sources of seafood and eggs as your protein. It's going to be a little boring. And yes, your nutrition is going to be somewhat limited for 30 days, but it gives you the opportunity to truly evaluate how the plant-based protein sources you want to bring back into your diet are having an impact on your system. We do make recommendations for vegetarians and vegans in the Whole30 book, ways to adapt to the program to use the Whole30 as like a framework or a foundation, but not completely, you know, going with, exactly our Whole30 rules because you're going to need to add in some plant-based protein sources. So there's a way to use the Whole30 as a base and still make it work within your self-imposed dietary restrictions. I I would imagine given how large the support network is online that there must be a subset for vegetarians who are modifying the Whole30 program to, to figure out the best way to do it. Yes, there is a a section in the Whole30 forum for vegetarians and vegans. We've got a few articles on the website dedicated. And in my new book coming out, Food Freedom Forever, I actually outline in great detail a vegan reset. So it looks different than the Whole30, but if you want to apply the same reset principles, here are the foods that I would recommend you eliminate as a vegan to kind of make that same, uh, do the same self-experiment. So so one of the big hurdles that I think a lot of people who are advocating changes in nutrition all confront is is how little people tend to cook or how intimidated a lot of people are in the kitchen. How does this program confront that? Is it okay for people to eat all of their food out? Um, what What is the... How does one get from feeling intimidated in the kitchen to learning basic skills and and make whole foods rather than pre-made foods? Yeah, that's such a good point. You know, so many people reported back to me um, before I wrote the Whole30 book that the Whole30 taught me how to cook. And you're going to need to learn how to cook, right? That's what you do when you eat real food. You have to learn how to cook it. But you don't have to make these really fancy, complicated recipes I love the idea of what we call ingredient meals. You're just browning some ground beef, dicing up a few vegetables, throwing it in a pot with some tomato sauce, and putting it over steamed spinach. So in the Whole30 book, we've got an entire section in the middle of kitchen fundamentals, how to grill a chicken breast, how to broil some salmon, how to poach, fry, scramble, or hard-boil eggs. And if you take all of those, plus maybe some really simple dressings and sauces, and some really simple like how to roast vegetables or how to steam vegetables, you've got delicious meals that don't require more than 15 or 20 minutes of prep, and they don't require any kitchen experience whatsoever. As you get more familiar with this way of cooking and you want to kick your heels up, then you dive into the recipes and you start playing around a little bit more with maybe specialty ingredients or cooking techniques, but it doesn't have to be fancy for it to be delicious and satisfying. And and you start out the whole 30 book with confronting the question or the pushback from people that this just seems too hard, both potentially the cooking aspect, but also just the removal of, of beloved foods at all for this month. And and what was your, what is your answer to the, uh, this is too hard? 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably the most often quoted line of the Whole30, and this tough love line has been in since the program's inception in 2007. The way we wrote it is essentially like, this is not hard, right? Beating cancer is hard. Birthing a baby is hard. Quitting heroin is hard. But drinking your coffee black for 30 days is not hard. And it's really that piece of tough love is meant to remind people that you have done harder things than this in your lifetime. And all we're asking you to do is this 30-day experiment for the greatest cause on earth, like the one body you'll ever have. And there's the, the, the tough love approach is really heavy on the love. There's a ton of support. You know, we go on in the Whole30 book to say, like, but P.S., I know that this is actually hard, and here are all the ways I'm going to support you in doing this. But the tough love is really there to tell people, to remind people, like, this is something that's worth doing. It's going to change your life, and you can do this for 30 days. Well, perhaps with the last uh, five minutes or so of the program, could we talk a little bit about your upcoming book and, and what prompted you to write another book, what what it's adding to the conversation that that wasn't addressed in, in the whole 30? Yeah, absolutely. I, I stay so closely connected to our community, and every book I've written has been a result of the community saying, this is awesome, but like, I need a little bit more. And so what happened when the whole 30 came out is people said, this is amazing. It walks me through how to do the program. I've got a step-by-step. I did it. I was super successful. I feel amazing. Now, what do I do? How do I take what I've learned on the program and the habits I've built and the new, this new relationship with food and how do I actually make it last? And so the new book, Food Freedom Forever, which comes out on October 4th, is really all about how to take any short-term dietary intervention and turn it into a lifetime of healthy habits that actually stick. And and could you talk a little bit about some of those? I know you have a section called successful food freedom or food freedom success strategies. Um, What are, what are some of those strategies? Sure. So, you know, what I help people do in the moment, like the whole, the whole thing about food freedom and and where you go, where you choose to include some of these potentially less healthy foods because they're so delicious or so special or so traditionally significant, comes down to this question, is it worth it? Is eating this food going to be worth whatever negative consequences I know I may encounter because I've done this 30-day experiment and I know how this food will impact me? But in the moment, it can be really hard to like really think about, is this going to be worth it? Because your brain sees reward on the horizon and is screaming for it, kind of like a toddler in a target throwing a tantrum. So I walk people through in the moment success strategies, how to to pause and create some distance and actually evaluate logically, not from a perspective of my brain and, and it wants to reward my sugar dragon is breathing fire, but from a perspective of, do I really want to eat this? Is it really going to be worth it? Do I need to eat this to satisfy the experience I'm looking for? So if you can really practice these in a very structured way, as I outlined, then in the moment, the next time you're faced with this food, you can make an initial decision like, oh, last time I ate this, it totally wasn't worth it. I'm going to take a pass. And that's part of the protocol for your three-part food freedom plan is like in that moment, how do I make it the decision that's good for me? Well, how close is your own diet to the whole 30 when you're not in the whole 30 and the other 300 days of the year, is it pretty close to the the program or would you say that it varies widely? No, nope, it's still really, really close because I figured out that that's what makes me feel the best. Um, I've relaxed on the no added sugar, a little bit of maple in my chicken sausage or sugar in, 
you know, my bacon is no big deal. There are some things that I eat pretty regularly because once I brought them back in, I realized they didn't impact me negatively at all. So white rice, some peanut butter, some hummus. But when it comes to the things that I know are going to have a pretty serious negative impact on my energy or my mood, I'm really careful about saying yes to them. They have to be really worth it. And I only eat as much as I need to to satisfy the experience. And maybe lastly, we could you could just mention if there are any reasons when a, a person should consult their doctor, any conditions that this wouldn't be a good idea for, or at least they should be pulling in their, their supervising physician before endeavoring it. Yeah, I mean, you should always talk to your doctor before beginning any new diet or lifestyle program. But if you have a history of eating disorders, the Whole30 rules can be triggering in, in some instances. And we've worked with uh, a Harvard psychiatrist to kind of outline some of the things you might want to talk to your counselor about before you start the Whole30. Our rules are very black and white, and that rigidity maybe isn't good for, may not be good for someone in that context. If you have a medical condition that's currently being treated, uh, type 2 diabetes or an autoimmune condition or high blood pressure, if you're taking medication, you want to work very closely with your doctor before and during implementation because the Whole30 can make changes happen in the body so quickly, you may need to adjust those medications. Uh, if you're pregnant, you'd always want to consult your, your um, midwife or obstetrician or who you're, you know, your medical professional as well. In general, I think having the conversation with your doctor is a really good place to start. And we've got some articles on our website about how to talk to your doctor about taking on the Whole30 in a way that kind of gets him or her on board and supports you through the process. And maybe you could just point our listeners to your web resources. I'm sure we have some curious listeners who might want to look at uh, some of the, the large amount of information you have on the web. Yeah, so our website is just whole30.com, W-H-O-L-E, and the number 30. And the entire program is available for free on the web. It's always been free. It always will. So if you go to our homepage and just click the little I'm new button, it will walk you through all the basics of the Whole30. We've got a super robust social media community on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, and it's all just Whole30. Uh, and I'm really active as well through social media. I like to stay engaged with the community and answer questions and provide some tough love and see where I need to develop more resources to help people be successful. Um, and any final thoughts for, for listeners today? You know, I just hope that the discussion encourages people to, to consider doing a program like the Whole30, doing a reset instead of dieting and gets gets them out of that kind of weight loss, quick fix, restriction, hunger, deprivation mentality. You can make significant changes in every area of your life by changing the food you put on your plate. And I hope people give the Whole30 a shot. We're starting a huge group Whole30 on September 5th. So now would be the perfect time to join because it will end right when the Food Freedom Forever book comes out, giving people this really robust plan to support new healthy habits forever. Well, thanks for being on Health Watch today, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me, David. I appreciate it. We're talking today to Melissa Hartwig, co-founder of Whole30 Program, the Whole30 book, and the upcoming Food Freedom Forever book. You've been listening to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Neiman, your host.